0: As I mentioned earlier as we gather here this morning our sister in Christ Kay Evely is waiting to be transferred to hospice care she is looking at the last days maybe weeks of her life and it's sad there's a loss there when a friend a loved one passes away there's a, a hole that's left I don't know if you have had a chance to meet Kay. Uh, Her health has kept her from regular attendance over the past year or two, but she comes when she can. She's pretty quiet, but I hope you've had a chance to get to know her. But I know she leaves a lasting legacy of involvement here at Orchard and Ladder Road before that. And so there is a sadness, there is a loss in losing a brother or sister in Christ, but it's... More than just sadness. As Christians, we have a hope, a gospel hope that Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, is coming back to call us home to be with Him. So even in our grief, there can be and should be, there must be a gospel-centered hope. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's where Paul turns to in this passage in 1 Thessalonians. We're in this sermon series on First Thessalonians called Faith Out Loud. Paul, who planted this church in Thessalonica, had to leave shortly after planting the church. He's traveled on and he's worried about them. He's praying deeply for them because he knows that Thessalonica is a very difficult city. He was run out of the city for preaching the gospel. Those that were friends and that housed him when he was there got in big trouble because of him. He's had to move on from the region because people from Thessalonica journeyed to another city to run him out of that city too. So he knows these early Christians, these baby Christians are facing great difficulty. And so he writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians to encourage them, keep going. And he's heard back from his friend Timothy, who has come and told him, Paul, they're doing great. They are holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are living out their faith. People are coming to know Christ, even in this difficult city and difficult area. But one of the things that happens as well is that Timothy reports on some issues that the church is either struggling with or has questions about. And so that is one thing or several topics that Paul's going to discuss. And a key part of the Christian faith that Paul would have left them with before he left the city is the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back. It's an essential part of the Christian faith. Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, since Paul has left, it appears, or at least is possible, that some people in the church have died. And a question has arisen: what's going to happen with those people that have died? Are they going to miss out when Jesus Christ comes back? what's going to happen when Christ returns and so in first Thessalonians four verses thirteen through eighteen Paul writes about our particular hope as Christians, our resurrection hope so we 're going to dig in into what he talks about and and this truth that Jesus Christ died and rose again and how that applies to us that this life, this world is not all there is. And it helps us when we see loved ones who are Christians who are going through the end of their life. It helps us to have hope, but it also applies to all of us as maybe we face our own mortality maybe the end of our life on this earth, or just think about all history coming to a close when Jesus Christ comes back. The hope that we have that all in Christ will be raised to be with him forever. So what does this look like as we struggle to live in the world today, which is exactly what the Thessalonians were struggling with? So there's a lot here that's applicable to us. So I want to read the whole passage. It's not very long. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive We who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I want to look first at what it means to grieve with gospel hope. That's where Paul starts. What does it mean to grieve, but grieve differently as Christians? Then we're going to look at the depth of the hope we have because of our future resurrection through Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that this passage, this sermon will help us to comprehend and really grab onto the incredible hope that we have through Jesus Christ's resurrection. So let's start with what it means to grieve with a gospel hope. I've seen as a pastor, as I get involved with funeral services, there, there are a lot of different ways. In fact, I often talk to a family like, what, what do you want the tone to be? Do you want a celebration of this person's life? Do you you want to focus on an appropriate time of grief and and mourning and the loss that's there? And both are appropriate. I think every family ever has always said, we want both. We need both. And both are true and appropriate. So so the question is, how can we have grief, because there is a loss over a loved one who's died in Christ, How, how do we have grief but also hope? So look at the text. Look at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. So I want to start here. Because in this text, there's an important point that Paul is assuming that I'm not sure Christians today understand too often. There is a link between hope, encouragement, and knowledge. Our knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth of His resurrection and the truth of what the Bible says is the basis for our hope and our encouragement, which means if we stay shallow in our knowledge, we are going to be weak in our hope and our encouragement. Look just briefly. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think it's important. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to fail to understand the depth of the knowledge of what Paul's talking about. Verse 14, then he goes into, and I love this statement, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Well, duh. I mean, as Christians, is that not the most basic thing we believe? We get it, Paul. Jesus died and rose again. We got that. We want to talk about other things. And Paul says, no, 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 no. There's no such thing in the church. There's no such thing in the church as talking about something outside the truth that Jesus Christ died and rose again. We have to start there with that knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and apply it to our situations. So he's going to look at this problem, this question of believers who have died and our understanding of the end times and and the resurrection, and he's going to look at it through the lens of the gospel And then look at verse 18 all the way down at the end. Therefore, this is Paul's purpose here. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There are two types of knowledge portrayed in Scripture. Two types of knowledge. One is, we know from 1 Corinthians 8.1, there is a knowledge that puffs up and Christians like to talk about this one. Well, I don't want to be all into knowledge because knowledge puffs up. I just want to love people. There is a knowledge that puffs up, that is used to belittle and put down other people and argue with them and cause factions in the church. There is a knowledge that does that. But the overwhelming emphasis, especially in the New Testament and especially in Paul's letters and especially in Paul's prayers, is that we need to go deeper in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowledge helps us correctly understand truth and apply it to our situations. If we look just briefly, I'm not going to read all of these, but if you're taking notes, you can try to write them down quickly. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 Paul prays that Christians would know God better so they would know the hope to which God has called them. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, Paul prays believers would grasp or know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that they may know this love that surpasses knowledge. Philippians 1, 9, Paul prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Colossians 1, 9, Paul prays that believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then in verse 10, that they would grow in the knowledge of God And the whole point of the letter of 1 Thessalonians is Paul saying, there are things you know because I taught you, Thessalonians, when I was with you, and things I want you to remember to hold on to and know as you continue on, and things I want you to know because you have questions and concerns. There is so often a trend among modern Christians and I think it is well-meaning but incredibly misguided that we stay on the surface of our faith and we settle for religious ideas and religious feelings and loving one another, all good stuff, but we say, I don't want to go deep. I don't need that stuff. That's not for me. That's, that's for the pastor and his study and the elders or the Sunday school teachers. That is not the truth from the New Testament. Paul is saying he wants them to know more and go deeper in their knowledge. Too many Christians stay shallow in their faith. And then when hard times come, they don't have the firm foundation of the truth of the gospel to do what Paul is saying, for we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. They don't have that foundation to understand what that means and apply it to their difficult situations. All right, that's my soapbox for why we need to go deeper in our faith. And I love Paul's heart here as a teacher saying, I want to inform you, instruct you, go deeper in your knowledge. Now let's look at the topic for this passage. As I said earlier, it seems that some Christians had died and there was fear about what would happen to them when Christ returned. Would they miss out on the resurrection because they've already died? Is it possible that in some way they would have a, a less glorious resurrection like like those who are still alive would go up to meet with Christ and it'd be amazing and awesome but those who died would just sort of be second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Another possibility is that they were receiving false teaching about this topic. In fact, in 1st or rather 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul mentions false teachers and one of the things they're teaching is that the resurrection has already happened. We're not going to go into that topic. That would be for a future sermon series. But we do know there were teachers coming in and teaching things that were wrong. And so Paul is correcting these things. Now look at verse 13. And here he gets into the question of our grief. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Now the NIV adds in death. Uh, The Greek just says those who are asleep or have fallen asleep. But, but we know he means those who have died. It's very obvious from the passage. The NIV adds it to help us out. He's talking about people that have died. This was a culturally relevant and appropriate way to mention death. Later on, he's going to talk specifically about those who have died. But look at what he says. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So here's the question. Should Christians grieve? And as I read this passage, this phrase even, I thought, is he saying Christians do not grieve because other people grieve because they have no hope? Is he saying that if you had hope, you wouldn't grieve? It's only those without hope that do grieve. So that's one possibility. The other question, or the other possibility rather, is that, and this is what I think it is, that he's saying Christians grieve but not like those without hope. It's good and appropriate to grieve, but there is a grieving that contains gospel Christian hope that makes our grief different from the grief of the world. Now, in John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus goes to a funeral. This is one of my typical passages to use at a funeral. He goes to the funeral of a friend, a friend named Lazarus. And he shows up and he sees all these people hurting because Lazarus has passed away. Lazarus is dead, buried, and gone in the grave. Now, if you know the rest of the story, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows this. But what does Jesus do when he shows up and sees these people hurting and grieving at the funeral? Shortest verse in the English translation, two words, Jesus wept. And so here we see Jesus having grief over the loss of Lazarus, even when he knows in a couple minutes Lazarus is going to be back with them. He grieves. Another situation is Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Paul is writing about one of his many colleagues. If you've studied the New Testament, you know that Paul never worked alone. He always worked with other people. And one of the people he worked with was a man called Epaphroditus, And he writes in Philippians 2.27, Indeed, he, Epaphroditus, was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So what Paul is saying is that Epaphroditus almost died. And if Epaphroditus had died, what would Paul have felt? Sorrow. Or maybe we could substitute grief. So, So Paul is saying he would have grieved. So, what I'm trying to help you understand is Paul is not saying here Christians should not grieve. It is right and appropriate according to Scripture to grieve. But there are two types of grief that Paul's pointing out. There is a grief that lacks hope, it is a sadness and a loss without any hope of something different changing. And then there is a grief that contains the hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is commanding us, instructing us, grieve, but grieve with hope. So what is the hope and the encouragement that the gospel gives? How do we grieve differently with gospel hope? Look at verse 14. He starts off with the most basic and important truth that's the foundation for the rest of the passage. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. It says there's the kernel, the essence, the foundation of hope, even in our grief. If Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died and rose again, then as we look at our fellow believers who pass away, we can say, wait a minute, they're saved by Jesus who died and rose again. Therefore, they will be raised again with Jesus Christ. This is why gospel knowledge and gospel understanding is so crucial because it applies to every situation of our lives. Look at the end of 14. He says, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. He says, look, these people, these friends, these loved ones, these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed away, and we look at that moment of loss and grief at the end of their earthly life, we need the hope and the reminder that moment, that situation is not the end of them. That is not the final word for them. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Those who have died, who are Christians, will come back, to life when Christ returns. Later in verse 17, he applies this to everyone, we who are still alive. So the situation is someday when Jesus Christ comes back, there will be those, and I would mostly expect we'll all be in this group. There will be those who have died as Christians. Unless Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime, we will be in the camp of those who have died. But there will be those in the church, believers, That when Christ returns, they haven't died. And they have the same hope. We who are still alive when Christ returns will join with him in the air. So we have this hope applied to both those who have died and any who remain. And the hope is, verse 17, we will be with the Lord forever. Something started when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, a new beginning a new creation. And all those saved by Jesus Christ are part of that new beginning, that new creation. And we will be raised up to new life when Jesus Christ returns. The promise of the truth of the gospel is that everyone trusting in Christ as their Savior will be raised to new life and will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. And in those moments of grief and mourning for those that we've lost, in the moments of struggling with this world, looking at our own mortality, we can hold on to this truth. This is not the end of me. I will be raised with Jesus Christ forever. So we grieve differently. Yes, death is part of the brokenness of this world. Death exists because sin is in the world. Life comes to an end. Earthly life comes to an end because this creation has been fractured and broken through the sin of humanity. There is grief over that. It is good to grieve over even the existence of death. There is also a hole left by that person. We will miss the person. There are memories there and activities that they'll no longer be a part of. There is an appropriate grief because of that. But we must remember to grieve with hope. Apply the gospel to that difficult situation. Death is ultimately not the end. So this is the hope that Paul is talking about. But now we need to dig into some very specific details to get a better understanding of the hope of the resurrection that will happen when Christ returns. Many times people like to debate about what will happen at the end of the world. What's the order of the end times events? They want to argue. They want to put down other people, kind of beat them up and theologically spar with them. Reminder that some knowledge puffs up. And for some, this is why they want to study end times, because it puffs them up and allows them to put down others. But if I'm reading this passage correctly... What we see is that Paul is saying a true understanding of the end times should lead to hope and encouragement. Now, Scripture is not trying at times to solve all of our man-made arguments. There are questions we might have about the end times that Scripture might not actually try to answer. And in our effort to conform Scripture to our earthly theological debates, we often miss out on what it's actually saying. Scripture is pointing us to the one who is sovereign over the end times and wants us to live now with the hope and the knowledge that Jesus Christ is sovereign over the end times. So with that in mind, let's dig into some of these nitty-gritty details. And there are six important details I want to show you in this passage about the end times. And I know some of you just cringed inside. We'll go quick, okay? First, I know, you've been with me long enough. You're like, yeah, right. We'll try to go quick. Okay, first detail. Christians, and if you're taking notes, I'll try to state these for you. First detail is that Christians who have died will return with Christ. Look at the second part of verse 14. Verse 14. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died, as Christians, will return with Jesus Christ. We're going to look deeper at what that means in a moment. So that's the first important detail. Christians who have died, that's not the end of them. They will be coming back when Christ returns. Second detail, there is an, there is an order to the resurrection that Paul emphasizes. First, those who have died in Christ, those who have died as Christians, and then those who are still alive as Christians. Verse 15, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Third important detail, verse 16, is about how Christ will return. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. The way that Christ returns will be loud and obvious. It's what Paul's saying. It's going to ring out through all the earth. Nobody's going to be like, what was that? Did Christ come? It's going to be obvious. It's going to ring out. Fourth detail. When Christ returns those who are still alive will be caught up or taken in the air to meet with Christ in the clouds. And the end of verse 16 says the dead in Christ will rise first. So we will join with all those Christians who have died before us to meet with Christ in the clouds. Fifth detail, end of verse 17, we will be with the Lord Forever, And let me just tell you, if you're tuning out for all this nitty-gritty stuff, wake up for this and the next point, and then go back to sleep, okay? (laughs) Paul is writing all of these details to remind us we will be with the Lord forever. If you miss everything else, don't miss that. Sixth detail, which goes along with it, verse 18, encourage one another with these words. So six details. Christians who have died will return with Christ. There's an order to the resurrection. The return of Christ will be unmistakable and obvious. There is a meeting with Christ in the air or in the clouds. All Christians will be with the Lord forever, and we are to encourage one another with this truth. Now, there's a lot of debate over those details. What does this mean? What does it look like? There is something in their culture that helps us understand all six of these details. Now, I always want to be careful with this because as a pastor, it's easy to go, well, I read something about their culture that's going to support what I believe. Here's the cool thing. This cultural thing is actually in Scripture in some other place. Now, the key phrase that helps us to understand this is verse 15, the coming of the Lord. The coming of... Of the Lord. We read that as Jesus Christ is the Lord and he's coming back. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. But this language, these words, were used in their culture in other ways. When a foreign dignitary, or not even a foreign dignitary, when like the emperor, the king, a local ruler would visit one of their cities, they would say, the Lord is coming. They're not talking about Jesus. Talking about somebody important. And there was a way that that would happen In their culture, this coming of a Lord, a king, an emperor, or a high-ranking official into a city. There was a ceremony that would take place. Fortunately, it's very similar to how they did weddings. Turn to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25 records a parable. I don't know if John's done this one in, in the study of the parables in Sunday school, But it's called the parable of the ten virgins, another way of understanding that is the parable of of ten bridesmaids. But look at verses 1 through 13. I'll let you read it on your own, let me just summarize it for the sake of time. What Jesus is talking about is a time will come, and he's applying this to his second coming, but he's saying it's like the groom, in that culture, the wedding would be prepared in the bride's hometown. Everything would take place and be prepared. And then the groom, who usually was from a different city, would come to that town and they had to be ready because when he arrived, the wedding started. They didn't always know when he was going to get there. Could be a couple days either direction. Could be hours in either direction. on how far he was coming from and what happened along the way. And so what would happen in uh, Matthew chapter 25, if we look at verse 6, there's this call that goes out to the bridesmaids. The groom has come. And at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. The bridesmaids would be waiting at the place of the marriage or of the wedding. And then when the groom arrived, they would go out to meet the groom. And then if we look at verse uh, 10, it says, but while they were on their way, these are the Other uh, bridesmaids who weren't ready. Um, The bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. So these bridesmaids go out to meet the groom and then they come to the place of the wedding. They come into the city with the bridegroom to the wedding. Now I know you're like, I don't really care. It's great. It's how they did weddings. What I wanted to show you is that this pattern is in Scripture. And it was assumed and understood. And how it applies to our passage is that this is so similar to how a visiting dignitary would enter a city. They would know when he was coming. And the first thing that would happen as this important person was coming toward the city is all the most wealthy, most important, most powerful people of the city would form a delegation. And they would go out to meet that person outside the city. And this was a place of incredible honor to be worthy to be included in this group to meet the dignitary outside the city. And then that group would walk with the dignitary into the city. And as they got close, the city gates and outside the city wall would be surrounded with the people of the city cheering and welcoming this, pe- this person. And then there'd be a whole parade going into the city as this dignitary came in. This helps us to make sense of the details of this passage. First of all, the return of Jesus Christ will be unmistakable. Everybody knew when that dignitary came to the city. The city was on fire with activity, preparing for this. When Christ returns, there will be a trumpet, a loud announcement. Everybody will know. Now let's look at two of the other details together. Christians who have died will return with Christ, and the order of the resurrection is that those who have died will proceed or be raised first before those who are still alive. They're the honored ones. They're the group that goes out to meet with Christ when he comes back. They're the group that Jesus Christ and and Paul is holding up and saying, You think they're going to miss out? On the contrary. They're going to be given the position of greatest honor. They're going to go out and meet him first. The question they're struggling with is, will these people miss out or experience a lesser resurrection? And Paul says it's exactly the opposite. On that day, talk about the greatest Memorial Day. Those who have died in Christ will be held up As the important people in the kingdom, they will be held up and exalted to meet with Jesus Christ as he is coming back to take us home. And then he says those still alive with Christ or in Christ will be caught up to meet with Christ in the air. Anyone still alive on the earth as a Christian will also join that delegation. Second, but will also join. Now, what is not stated But what is implied and what can be seen from the rest of the book of Revelation in particular is that that group, Jesus Christ outside the city and all those that have been resurrected and gone to join with him, that group will enter the city, the city of this world, the city of the kingdom of this world. Christ will come to reign forever and ever and we will be with him forever. Paul's just hinting at it. That's what the book of Revelation talks about in greater detail, but I'm just going to leave it there. But listen to the encouragement and the hope. Those who have died in Jesus Christ, that's not the end of them. They will be raised to new life at the coming of Jesus Christ with great honor. And those who are still alive when Christ returns will also be raised they will also be given new bodies and they also will be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And as Paul concludes, encourage one another with these words. That's gospel hope and encouragement because of the hope of the resurrection that we have through Jesus Christ. This is the hope we have as Christians. This is the hope That we need to look through as we see our world falling apart or we face the difficulties in our own life, physical, emotional, relational, especially as we look and maybe face the end of our own lives. We have a hope that goes beyond the moment of death. The Bible talks about once you die, your soul goes to be with the Lord forever. And then when Christ returns, our body are raised and we will be with Him forever. This is the hope of the resurrection that we can hold on to. Jesus Christ is coming back and all those saved by Jesus will be with him forever and ever. Encourage yourself and encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to go deep in our understanding of what that means. Help us to spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ talking about the hope that we have in Jesus, digging through your word and applying it to our situations. Help us to remember in some of our darkest times that we have a hope that goes beyond these situations. We have a hope that even goes beyond our death. A hope that says we will be raised to new life. And all those saved by Jesus Christ will be with you in your kingdom forever and ever. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged through that important truth. In the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.